This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. Today we have as our guest, Ron San Miguel, who is the author of Modern Day Mystic, Journey of a Song Catcher, an autobiography. Ron, are you there? I'm here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, very good. This will be an, a, an interesting 30 minutes or so. I'm looking forward to, to every minute. Uh, I, I, too, have... Uh, experienced uh, a good deal of uh, spirituality in my lifetime uh, and I don't I don't think I'm anywhere near the end of, of more um, but uh, that's that's a topic that you can probably tell us more about for you Sounds good. Uh, first of all I wanted to uh, highlight the your Yaqui heritage yes sir Tell, tell us about it. Uh, well, my grandmother was full-blooded Yaqui from northern Mexico, uh, Rancho Quelital in Sonora, Mexico. And her parents brought her across the border in 1892 when she was one. And at that time, Arizona was not a state yet. But uh, a lot of Yaqui were fleeing northern Mexico because of the revolution forthcoming. So in preparation of that and they just decided, well, they, they used to go, and Yaki would travel all the way up to Salt Lake, uh, part of their spiritual journeys. You know, uh, so it was quite common to, to come into the to the States at that time, and, and well before that for, for many, many years. So it wasn't new coming across what we now have as a border. But at that time, as I say, uh, 1892, Arizona was yet to become a state. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yaki, I didn't find out I was Yaki till I was 23 when my grandmother told me. And so, oh, I knew I had an affinity for Native American spirituality, but I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm. Uh, I've been living in Texas most of my adult life, and in three weeks we're, tra- we're traveling and going to relocate to Arizona. Oh, wow. Interesting. My dad's from San Antonio. So I was born in El Paso, Texas. Uh-huh. And I have a lot of family in Tucson and Phoenix still. Yeah, we um, we we picked out a town where my daughter is and her two children, which are my wife's grandchildren, and um, her husband and his, his parents are there right there. And we ended up with a rental. Two blocks away, which was kind of a miracle, but that's uh, it's in a town called Marana. It's, Marana. Uh, mm-hmm, it's about um, gosh, just uh, twenty miles northwest of uh, Tucson, up Highway Ten. Uh, okay, I'm thinking about looking at uh, property in uh, Sedona. <laughs> well, well, maybe moving must- there soon. You must have a, have a comment about that, because my daughter began looking at that 
too, and that uh, you must have big, heavy, heavy pockets, is what I can say. It's a, it's it, it and you know something that that I realized we were down there looking for, uh, you know, a place, and you know all the biddings came in, all the all the California money. Uh, it was really depressing um, being outbid over and over and over. So yeah. we just thought, okay, we're going to rent. And uh, then we'll wait and see what the market's doing then. Yeah, part of the rat race, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about um, as is it part of the Yaqui heritage? Are you a what? How how do you practice a community activist? Wow, well, the activism started since uh, high school. And uh, I went to Wheaton High School near Marysville, about halfway between Marysville and Sacramento, California. And uh, we didn't have a whole lot of uh, Chicano students there and very few African-American. And this was, uh, I graduated in 1971. So there was, as you know, a lot of uh, protesting going on still because of civil rights and also uh, the Vietnam War. And at that time, there was a lot of tension between the, there was a lot of tension between the white, big uh, bruisers, a lot of farm farm guys that were in the football team and all. But anyway, there was friction between the African-American students and the white students. And and I wrote a letter to the editor for our school newspaper. And next thing I know, people are talking to me as though I'm the representative for the African-American and the Raza students. So that was my introduction into the civil rights movement. And mm-hmm. so from there and all my different jobs, I did community work. So I got involved in being outspoken. I figured, you know, the way I was brought up in a military family, my dad always told us to speak up and do the right thing. And justice was always at the forefront. And so that was part of my journey. And I've been doing it all my life, getting myself into good trouble as Congressman John Lewis would say. <laughs> I, uh, I I thought that your your life has probably been um, like no other. Let me say, I see that you are actually studying f- for the priesthood. I was at one time uh, mm-hmm. when I was when I was a kid. I wanted to be a priest. And that was a game plan for years. And then in middle school, I discovered girls. And I, oops, oh. Hmm. <laughs> so game, game, the game plan changed, and I was focusing on getting involved with politics. And that was a game plan through my junior year in college. And then I changed again, decided I didn't want to go into politics, and I'd do community work instead. So I got involved more and community activism at the time, and eventually uh, entered the seminary when I was uh, 29 years old. Mm-hmm. And, well, actually, no, I was 27. Oh, no, 29. When I was 29. And I spent about four years in the seminary, finished my philosophy studies there, and then uh, did a couple of years of graduate studies in theology, and then they decided I was too outspoken and uh, dismissed me from the Diocese of Sacramento. 
So I deliberated for another nine months on what direction to go. Franciscans were inviting me up to Canada, and the Mother Diocese in Mexico were inviting me to study down there. I was deliberating for nine months before I ultimately decided, nah, time to move on and see what mm-hmm. else uh, I'm supposed to be doing here, and got back into community work again. And uh, here we are, all these years later. And you have a songs. master's. Is that I do. Why you have a master's degree? Master's in culture and spirituality from Holy Names University in Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in that program, it's it's kind of interesting because all these years of experiences of a mystical nature I've had during my life, uh, it was kind of uh, uh, lonely for a long time, not being able to speak to a whole lot of people about such things because I didn't know what was going on for for a long time. And then when I got into this program, I realized, oh, I have lots of kindred spirits here. And this is quite common, these experiences that I have, just that people don't talk about them for fear of people thinking they're crazy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Holy Names University, that program no longer exists, uh, Culture and Spirituality Masters. And it was interesting because it, it was a, a blending of the, the intimate relationship between uh, the evolution of the universe, the planet, you know, taking care of Mother Earth, spirituality, uh, social and economic justice, and the arts. And uh, it's fascinating to see how everything is so interrelated. I would agree. Um, I always look at people's authors at the uh, table of contents that's where all the chapters are uh-huh. and and they bring a, a great deal of uh, inquiry i should say um you say you had a, a first near-death experience does that mean you have not only the first but many others <laughs> yeah yeah it's been an interesting journey never a dull moment uh, <laughs> yeah it's uh that was the first one was uh, when I was a kid. We lived in my dad's military. So he was assigned to Spain, U.S. military. So we lived there, and uh, me and my brothers were out on the hike in the southern Spain and uh, crossed some railroad tracks. And it was an interesting uh, walk. My oldest brother was leading us, carrying the dog. We're stepping. I was just a little kid, like fourth grade. And we're stepping across the railroad ties on this bridge, 150 feet down is the river and rocks. And we're halfway across the bridge, no sidewalk, no roads, just train tracks. And the train whistle blows, and we realized, oh, around the bend, the train's coming. So we had to hurry up and get across that bridge and barely made it across before the train hit the bridge. So it was... Uh, Scary. We didn't tell mom and dad about that. We would have been grounded for the whole four years we were in Spain. <laughs> or, or longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I too have had a number of times. Uh, actually, I, I'm an author as well. And uh-huh. one, of the, one of the chapters in my book is called, um, Is That You, God? Mm-hmm. Um, because the event caused me to actually believe that it was God interfering mm-hmm. for the better. Yeah. Yeah. That's so all I'm, good. Uh, I'm all in favor of that. 
Oh, and what's the name of your book, may I ask? Sure. Um, it's um, Embracing the Abyss. Uh, the Abyss. Uh -huh. The Abyss I uh, um, used as a portal to our souls. Ah. And that's why I called Embracing the Abyss. Um, it's, um, it's a true story of unknowingly becoming part of a fraud scandal. Oh, boy. Receiving a presidential pardon and being surprised by a spiritual awakening. Wow. That's my, that's my book burb. I'm going to have to find that. All right. Well, um, I see another here that um, the call, when we talked a little bit about uh, becoming uh, a priest, um, was it, was it, you think it was actually part of the future or you, you, you reached a point that it was not, I guess uh, as we, you explained that already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did see about Dr. Chaim Potok. Right, Dr. Chaim Potok, uh -huh. very famous, very famous uh, author. He wrote The Chosen, The Book of Lights. My name is Asher Lev. Wonderful mm -hmm. writer and uh, novels, right? And at mm -hmm. the time when I was studying to be a priest and, and in, in college, I had stopped reading novels, wanted to stick just to nonfiction to deal with world problems, right? Mm -hmm. I figured that ah, nonfiction is, is where I need to focus because uh, fiction is just a waste of time, I thought, until I read his book. And I said, oh, he talks about, in all his books, culture clashing between cultures. And it's a fascinating writer, and I was just so elated with his book, The Chosen. I started reading several of his, and I got the opportunity to meet him and uh, at a lecture he was giving. And uh, afterwards, I spoke with him and he, I asked him, why doesn't he write a nonfiction book about the cult, uh, clashing of cultures? And he, he gave me an assignment. He said, well, I'll leave that up to you. You write that book, nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Took mm -hmm. a lot of years. I finally did. So that's my book now, Modern Day Mystic Journey of a Song Catcher. I remember at uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, I had a little sign that I put on my table, and it, and it said... Um, um, this is nonfiction. Uh, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that attracted a lot of people, just saying that. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, as I, as I thought about writing my book, I was thinking, well, should I make this into a, a fiction book? Because people aren't going to believe somebody's stories anyway. So mm -hmm. Might as well just make it a novel, right? And then I ultimately decided, well, no, nah, I don't care if people think I'm crazy. I'm going to write the truth the way I experienced it. So right. autobiography, nonfiction book. Well, being military myself, I'm curious about the seminary was worse than a boot camp. That's one of your chapters. <laughs> yeah, uh, my my family is military on my dad's side. Actually, my mom's side, too. My uncles were all military. Uh, but most of my dad's side, my grandfather, my dad, all of my five brothers entered the military. I was the only one that did not. And uh, 
I'm I'm a warrior too, but my my journey was different than a military warrior. My I'm a peace warrior, mm-hmm. and uh, so after doing community work for a number of years, ultimately entering the seminary, and even after getting back into community work after seminary, it's still part of my journey is to speak up and be a peace warrior. And uh, yeah, seminary was was very strict, of course, uh, but it was also. To my surprise, a lot of politics, and I said, ah, "This isn't right. Something wrong here." So mm-hmm. I'd speak up. I'd speak up and get into trouble and ask too many questions, and I was a, I was a thorn in their side. So ultimately, they decided, "Yeah, we better excuse this one." I should have waited till after I was ordained before I spoke up. I guess. Well, you know, things happen for a reason. Um, I'm sure you've repeated that over and over. Mm-hmm. Knowing that and experiencing that, it has yeah. for me. It has for me. Oh yeah, um, me too. Mm-hmm. And you've got uh, a number of um, reviews that uh, that uh, if, if, I guess if people don't really aren't tuned in to to an extent, um, there's one review regarding um, being able to fly. And uh, I fly in my dreams when I was younger. Not as many now today, um, but that's where that was where I experienced flying. Do you have? Was that the same experience for you? Well, I've experienced flying in dreams, but I've also experienced flying in mystical experiences in the waking state. Uh, mm-hmm. They call they call that astral projection. And when it first happened to me, I had no idea what was going on. I was freaking out. What the world is this? I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I don't drink. What is going on here? I knew I wasn't crazy, but I spent a long time trying to figure out what what was happening, including talking to my parents when I was a young man and sat down with both of them and shared a few experiences Mm -hmm. and was asking them if perhaps they could help me understand. And my dad told me, son, there's a fine line between being a genius and being insane. I said, but dad, I'm neither. I just don't, can't explain these experiences. And mom suggested I go to the doctor and have my head examined. So that didn't work. I said, okay, mom and dad don't have a clue either. So I kept searching and talked to priests and monks and uh, representatives of different religions. And nobody could answer my questions or explain what these experiences were all about until I was 23 and spoke with my maternal grandmother, the Yaki. And Mm -hmm. she said to me, oh, those experiences are part of our uh, experience in our spirituality of the Yaki people. I said, what? I thought you were Mexican. She said, oh, yeah, I am. I said, I thought you were Catholic. I am, but I'm also Yaki. So we combined both Yaki and the Catholic traditions in, in, in our upbringing when she was little. I said, oh, I was shocked. I didn't know I was Yaki or she was Yaki. So then she shared experiences of her own with me and taught me how to deal with the fear factor. And uh, so it was it was fascinating and so comforting to have my maternal grandmother be the one to finally help me understand what was going on. And, uh, so it was just so I was blown away. And my mother never talked about it, apparently because she was trying to assimilate into uh culture up here in the States. She was born in Arizona, but uh, of course the discrimination 
you know, they, they wanted us to be able to not experience discrimination. So uh, we were taught English as our first language, pretty much. They wanted us to speak, read, and write English well to not mm-hmm. suffer what they did. My parents suffered when they were little uh, due to discrimination, and they wanted us to not experience that. They did the basic best they could, but I, I experienced some of that anyway. But, hey, we keep moving ahead. We're all in this together, no matter what your skin color is. You go back far enough, all of us, including European, uh, Caucasian folk, go back far enough, we all have indigenous roots. Matter of uh, history, anthropology, right, and right. spirituality, and spirituality, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you... Uh thought about your next book <laughs> funny you should say that in my book this one the first a hint of a sequel the book uh, story ended six years ago and the last six years have been another book in and of themselves but um yes yes i've got about three or four more books inside of me that are screaming to get out and that's right. the game plan yes right interesting are they um that's a lot of books. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. I'm a songwriter, been that all my life, but now I'm finding I didn't expect to be writing books as well at this point in the journey. Mm-hmm. Right. And here I am. Okay, right. okay. I guess right. I'm supposed to be doing this too. Well, the good thing about about this and writing more books is that you know people people get it, they understand it, and they come back for more. They want more. Um, I used to, when I was a teenager, teenager um, read a lot of novels. Um, you know, I read novels in Vietnam. And in that process, I realized that that whenever I got ready to write my book, that it was not going to be anything close to being a novel. It was, uh, it was true. And, uh, and it, 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 it causes you, for me it, anyway, and I'm sure it is different you, it causes you to reach deeper and and find more. And uh, uh, with the, the number of books um, you've got ahead of you, you're going you're gonna to be live a long life. <laughs> I, I hope so. I, I still have lots to do. Yeah. Never a dull moment. I'm always I, uh, surprised to. I'm surprised, always fascinated with life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I almost skipped over this one item. It says that at one point you guys, you were working for the Oakland Police Department. Yes, sir. I was very hopeful. There was a lot of uh, talk about uh, working together with the community and bridging that gap because there. Historically, been a lot of problems between Oakland Police Department and people of color in the city of Oakland and, and across the country. Mm-hmm. As you know, there's a lot of unrest there. And right. I was brought in. They were taking sworn officers out of the Internal Affairs Department and putting them out on the street and bringing in civilians to work in Internal Affairs to deal with uh, complaints against police officers. So I was hired to be part of that team and I was brought in and my outspoken self got me into trouble and <laughs> my friends were betting first of all they were shocked that they hired me and second they're 
they're placing bets on how long I was going to last. Some said a couple of weeks, some <laughs> said a couple of months, some said no, all said no more than one year. And they were right. Within three months, I was dismissed. Uh, I was too much of a threat. I was just asking questions. I said, come on, people, we can do this. We can we can set an example for the rest of the country by actually dealing with the reality. We've got to be honest about what's going on. All the cops aren't bad, but you've got a few bad apples that are spoiling the whole barrel. So let's deal with yeah. But, of course, people don't. People are afraid of truth. That's often the case. Often it's the too case. Frightening. Too frightening. Too much fear involved in dealing and speaking truth for people. Ron, tell us, uh, tell us about where my audience, my listeners can find your book. Wow. Everywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you Google my name or Modern Day Mystic, Journey of a Songcatcher, you'll find a number of different outlets that are selling my book. And I have my uh, website also, ronsanmiguelauthor.com. It's San, like San Francisco, Miguel, M-I-G-U-E-L. So ronsanmiguelauthor.com. And, yeah, it's uh, keeping me busy right now I'm in the marketing phase. It's all new to me. I, I thought I was done when I wrote the book. I said, no, now you got to yeah. focus on marketing. Said, oh. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. the most important part. Lots of work. Lots of work. Yeah, this was, uh, you mentioned the uh, reviews. Yeah, that's very helpful. I'm real pleased with the reviews that are coming in on Amazon uh, about the book. So I'm, I'm touched. Well, you had a number of people that were uh, uh, important to you when you were writing the book. I would assume that they probably are waiting in, 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 the, in the wings to see if, when you're going to call them again. Um, yeah, they've already said so. so what's, when's the next one coming out? Oh, in about a year. <laughs> in about a year, i got to finish writing it first. Right, right. Well, you know, Ron, I really have enjoyed talking with you. Um, my audience is such that they uh, uh, are are listening closely to what you're saying because a lot of the, my listeners are are spiritual and have had a number of events in their life, much as you described. Um, so I want to thank them, uh, my listeners for tuning in to Searching for Integrity. And um, so long and happy trails to all. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to my next divine assignment. That's what it's all about. You got it.